It's chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. You'll find it on page 1047 in your Bibles. That's Luke chapter 13, reading from verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I do not know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Thank you very much for the reading. It's really good to be with you all day, and it's been good to meet new friends as well as to get to know some very old friends who I didn't realize I'd be seeing today. So it's been a real treat. Let's pray as we start. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of access into your presence through Jesus. And thank you we have faithfully recorded for us Jesus' words so we can hear his spirit speak to us even today. Please illuminate our hearts and minds, open our, our understanding, and give us the courage of faith and the grace to respond with Christ-like sacrifice and determination. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we live at a time in the UK where it feels very strange to be a Christian because Jesus and his teaching, respect for Jesus and his teaching, is very much on decline. Whether that's more recently about the teaching on marriage or how you define it, how it gets taught in schools or attitudes to Jesus in our colleges or workplace. I think for many of us, we feel that Christianity is being marginalized more than it is put in the center of our society. In a recent YouGov poll of 100,000, it was found that just under half of the British adults now say that they have no religion and that our British population is more likely to believe in ghosts than it is to believe in a creator or even Satan or hell. And even if you ask card-carrying Christians... We're told that people who say they're Christians are more likely to believe in alien life 
than the reality of the devil. And that's the, the nominal take on Christianity that the YouGov poll gave us. But in England, certainly, some would say, well, the boat hasn't yet pulled away from the dock. But actually, from the perspective of many, the, the ship sailed a long time ago when it comes to Christian faith and the centrality of the gospel in this land. I don't know about you, but it's at times like this that it's easy to lose conviction. To think, well, is Jesus really relevant? I'm not sure. Is his teaching enduringly true, even for those who would just say he is ridiculous? And they following him and believing in a spiritual realm, even the devil and his judgment and Christ's judgment, to be, frankly, old hat. Why express my worship of Jesus and, and joyful obedience of him in our college or in our workplace? Why give my spare time to working with Friends International and longing that other people come to know Jesus as I do that? What relevance does Jesus have really to the hundreds of thousands of migrants who are coming from Myanmar into Bangladesh in Cox Bazaar and facing the floods that are coming? Or even those who have come through into Europe and in the Middle East from the conflicts that we've seen over the, over the recent years in Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq. In other words, why hold on to the conviction that people shouldn't go through their lives without ever hearing of Christ when in our nation people are, are less wanting to hear of Christ at all? Well, in these times, we need to reach back into God's revelation to us through human history and ultimately through Jesus to have a, a sober faith for, I think, sober times Verse 22 gives us the context for or the setting of what Jesus says in this passage. And it's a setting which is evocative because of where he's going. It says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. It's the first geographical observation we've had in Luke since chapter 9, when in Luke 9.51 he turned his face towards Jerusalem, knowing what will happen to him there. Back in chapter 9, let me just read it to you, where he says, the Son of Man, that's his favorite title for himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand what this meant. And then in 18, chapter 18, he goes on to say that this will mean him being rejected and flogged and crucified and killed, and rising. Still, they don't fully understand his determination to get to Jerusalem. But he is determined, nonetheless, to reach there. That's where he knows he's going. That's where he knows he's got to arrive. And he's teaching along the way as he goes. And as he goes, the closer he gets to Jerusalem, we won't go into the details, the more hostility rises. So the opposition amongst the Jews becomes more determined to kill him. Questions become more pointed. And Jesus' rebuke of 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 just disbelief in him becomes even more focused. If you ever thought Jesus was meek and mild, you need to read Luke and realize that he has some very stern things to say to those who would call him irrelevant and wrong. 
And then the question comes in verse 23. Because looking around at the hostility, looking around as they go to Jerusalem, thinking, what's going on, Jesus? Someone says, Lord, that's Jesus, are only a few people going to be saved? You can see why they're asking. Looking around, hang on, what's, what's the story? You're supposed to be a king. You're supposed to be a saving, delivering king from God's judgment. You're supposed to be someone who's welcomed into Jerusalem. But the closer we get, the more people think, get out of here. Who are you? <laughs> Why should we listen? I think it's a question we understand in our context more and more. Is it just going to be us few who are going to believe in Jesus? Or will there be more? Well, the questioner hasn't heard or processed what Jesus has already said. Back in, in, in chapter 9, he said the harvest will be plentiful. He's just told a story about a parable of a mustard seed that's going to grow and become a huge tree, and even the birds of the air will perch in its branches. And if you, any of you have been overseas to a place where the default is not that God doesn't exist, but actually he does, then you'll notice that there's lots of people turning to to Jesus Christ, goes to the south of the equator, and the church is growing and growing and growing. And and those who come to this country and and come and meet white Anglo-Saxons like me just think, well, isn't it just a bit strange not to believe in God? Perspective's everything. But the question is there nonetheless. Will just a few be saved when it comes to your judgment, Jesus? And the thing I love about Jesus is that he doesn't answer the question directly, does he? He doesn't answer the question of the few. He just says, what about you, actually? Don't worry about how many, because actually I've already told you there's going to be huge amounts of people there. The question is you. Where where are you going to be? And so he gives us a warning tonight, a warning we all need to hear, of will we join the global gathering of God's people from north, east, and south, and west of this planet? Or will we be left on the outside? The first thing to notice is there'll be many will try to enter, but not be able to. I'm just looking at verses 24 to 27, but Jesus says it quite clearly in verse 24. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to, as they are on Jesus' lips. People will think they should be there, but they're left, nonetheless, on the outside. Jesus talks about a door that will soon to be closed. A door to the welcome banquets, the great celebration, the international gathering of God's people. But that door will be shut at some point. And he wants us to put ourselves in the shoes of the story he now tells of the people left on the outside. You can sense their shock in verse 25, can't you? When it says, Jesus says, once the owner of the house gets up, closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer 
<clears throat> and this is the killer line. I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. And as if for emphasis, he says it again in verse 27. Did you notice that in the reading? He says, I don't know you or where you come from. And he goes even further, away from me, you evildoers. Now these are people he's talking to are Jews. They're really quite religious. They're thinking, hang on Jesus, are you talking about us? Really? Us? You can sense their shock. See, they expected the door to be open. They expected for them as familiar friends to be led inside. Instead, they're left outside as strangers to Jesus. And it seems they just didn't understand why they were left outside. And it's there in verse 26. You can, you can, their incredulity just speaks volumes. Then you will say, says Jesus, well, we ate, we ate with you and, and you taught in our streets. In other words, we went to KFC with you. We, we had coffee in Nero's. We, we listened to your word from these boring Christians who wanted to tell us something. Well, actually, we really were interested. We actually found your teaching really, there was something about it that we found irresistible. We know you, Jesus. We know your words. I never knew you, says Jesus. I don't know you. What's he saying? He's saying that it's possible to know about him, to hear his teaching, but not to know him as the Lord of the house or to recognize him as the ruler of our lives. You can know his teaching but not know him as your Lord. It's the grand presumption, isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> before I took this job, I was a minister in Worcester Park, and one of the things I used to do on a Thursday afternoon was, at four o'clock, I used to, get the, I used to put myself on the streets with a clipboard, and I'd never ask questions. I'd never answer any questions, let, let alone ask them. I'd, it was really uncomfortable, but I did it anyway, because I thought, let's see what people think. So there I was, dressed up in my shirt and tie and with a little clipboard and people got off the train and I thought no one's going to stop but they did <laughs> they really stopped and I asked four questions and, and one of them I, well first question is what 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 do you think a new church could add to this community they had lots to share on that second thing is do you believe in God um, if you do just tell me anything about him and many said well yeah not really sure um, or frankly no and I don't care or yeah yeah I think I do ish and under the age of 25, um, sorry, over, over the age of 25, people generally say, yeah, um, I know about Jesus, uh, died on the cross, um, born of Mary. And I'd say, do you, sort of, do you say that because you believe it? Or just because, I don't know, I was just told it when I was a, in, a child in Sunday school. But below the, below the age of 25, the majority of folk just said, I don't know, actually, don't, I, I don't know what to say. You've stumped me there. I, don't, I can't tell you anything. This is in London. But then I'd say, well, let's just presume God exists, and let's, for a moment, on the assumption that he does, knowing that you've just said he probably may not, or maybe he does, you're not sure. But let's assume he does. And let's say you get to God's judgment seat, and, you ask the, and he says, well, why should I let you in? It's, it's a classic question. Now, the majority of people then said, nine out of ten said this, or something like it. Well, I don't think I deserve it, read between the lines. Some are more honest than others and told, told quite, a, quite a story. 
But surely, you know, you're, you're, you're kind, of, kind of loving. You're going to let me in anyway, aren't you? It's the grand presumption. And it's here today. Even amongst the Brits who presume and live as if God doesn't exist. We sort of assume that if he does, he'll let us in. Surely, maybe. One of the things that shed light on this is when I was just in the pub talking to a teacher from Ipswich. And he, I asked him that question. He said, well, you know, I haven't beaten my wife up. I've been pretty faithful and I love my kids. I said, okay, brilliant, good for you. How about if you judge by God's standards? And he just looked me in the eye and he said, well, I'll be stuffed. And he really meant it. Stuffed. He didn't use that word, but he, <laughs> stuffed. But do you know what? He didn't care. And I think that's the majority of the people that I know who aren't from overseas. They know they'll be stuffed, but they don't really care. Because if God's just in the mind, he doesn't really exist because he's just what you think he is. Because he isn't out there, he's just in the mind. What we have in Jesus are the words of God, he tells us, who's come from outside in. We don't have to ask. We don't know. We do know. And Jesus says that there will be a time when a door to the kingdom of heaven will be closed. And it will be a time of deepest despair and, un, and, and most horrific, unbearable regret to be left on the outside. Do you see that in verse 28? There will be weeping. Have you ever heard someone weep? Or have you ever wept yourself? That uncontrollable, internal, grievous, you can't stop yourself pain that just brings up in tears where you shake and you cannot do anything but weep. That's what he's talking about there. But notice weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a, a sort of a Bible way of saying, oh, I wish I'd done something different. If only I'd... Oh. That hateful anger. Because they're as they knock on and say, sir, let me in, let me in, you've got to let me in. They see through the window, who's there? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the usual suspects. But they thought they should be there too. They thought they should be with the people who have faith in God. But they're on the outside, thrown out as strangers and not let in. I think the greatest tragedy here is that they thought they were okay. When I was sharing this passage in, in Uganda, I was in the southwest in Rukunjiri district, and I was teaching a whole bunch of secondary school kids, and I just think to myself, how, do I, how on earth do I get them to picture what this is about? And I said, imagine you go to, from this village, which only had one mode of transport, to the main centre further out, um, Umbrara. So imagine it's the last bus. They all knew the last bus. They all knew the taxi drivers going, come on, come on, come on, come on, Rook and Jerry, Rook and Jerry, Rook and Jerry. And they'd be shouting and saying, come on, you've got to join in. And then, and then if they didn't get there, shh, poof, the Toyota Hilux would close. It'd be gone. And they'd all been there. There'd be a very long, dark walk home. 
and it's really dark in rural Uganda. You see nothing, and you don't know what's going to happen to you. It's a very long walk home, and you know what your mum and dad are going to say. And they looked at me, and they said, yeah, we know what that means. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had a closed door, and you've paid good money for a ticket, and it's your birthday, or, some, or it's the, the Olympic Games? I've had a moment when I, I, I mislaid the tickets to the cycling race on Box Hill, and my kids were saying, Daddy, 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 are we going to go? And I was thinking, <gasps> fortunately, I found it. And I, <laughs> but it could have been so much worse. So much worse. And think about the eternal regret. When you can't change what you, the situation you're in. Jesus loves us, so he warns us before it's too late. Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. And that every effort there um, isn't about you've got to work hard to earn it. No, it's more about working out daily a loving trust in the King Jesus. That loving submission that says, you're my King, I must follow. For some of us, that means in our workplaces, just doing the right thing. We know it may not get us our promotion or people won't like us for it. For others, it means going further afield. People like Margaret in the Jordan, who I met, who's 83 years old. She was running a sanatorium. I won't tell you where it was because I'm not allowed to. But in northern Jordan, 83 years old. She'd been there for 50 years. And she'd chosen to run a sanatorium that dealt with TB. Tuberculosis. The reason she chose that was because it took three months to cure it. <laughs> that means that she knew that she'd have Bedouin Muslim people from, a, from that background joining her for three months so she could treat them and introduce them to Jesus. Do you know the first thing she told me when, when I met her? They might kill me, but it's okay. I'll be with my saviour. My colleague, international Deputy International Director for SIM turned to me and said, Oh, I, I hope I'm like that when I'm her age. Do you know what I said? Well, you need to be like that now then. Willing to do whatever is necessary in obedience to Jesus. For some, he calls us to do the extraordinary thing, which feels like a risk when it isn't. For others, he calls us in response to his gospel, to live obedient where we are here now, reaching out in his name. What is the grace he's given you in his service? It's very easy to not enter the narrow gate or narrow door. It's narrow because you've got to obey the king. It's a door because Jesus is exclusive entrance to the new creation, this banquet in God's kingdom. And he's saying, make every effort to get through that door. Obey him now. And we all know that when we turn to Jesus, that's a a wonderful moment in our lives. We all remember the moment, or maybe we just just always feel like we have because we've grown up in Christian families. But it's a continual daily decision, isn't it? And we all know those things that we're up to or not. The moments of weakness that we permit ourselves and think, ah, don't worry, I'm sure he'll forgive me. 
You ever had those sort of, and grace is cheap. I've had, in my four years serving as a mission director, I've, I've witnessed missionaries come off the field with broken marriages and broken families because they've just said in Thailand, well, I'll take that full body massage. I've been working hard. Surely I deserve it. And they haven't stopped when the rest has come. If we're in a life of habitual disobedience to Jesus, that's not making every effort to go through the narrow door. His grace calls us to obey him. And wherever we serve him in mission, there's no excuse, is there? If he's our king, he's our king. It might be here tonight that some people need to come before Jesus afresh. Say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm choosing to follow again in your grace. But the wonderful news that Jesus goes on to say is this. He doesn't just say that many will try to enter but not be able to. Look what he says in verse 28 to 30. Because he actually says that many will sit at the table but not as expected. Because in, in the breath where he says there'll be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves thrown out. Look who's there in verse 29. There's no nation, no people, no language that that does not refer to. North, east, south and west of this globe will be gathered, says Jesus, into this remarkable celebration. I didn't have the privilege of going to London 2012. Anyone get that privilege of, of, of seeing any of the games? Yes, you did. My wife did. She constantly reminds me. Um, she was at the opening ceremony, and, and she saw all the, all the teams parading around. It was a fantastic celebration. But other friends who remind me that they went and I didn't also tell me of the marathon moments when the first marathon runners came through, and there was you know, cheering, clapping, but then the final runner came, obviously on their last legs, you know, just stumbling. Is he going to make it? Is he, is he going to make it? And the whole crowd are on their feet. Come on, you can do it! And they're the cheering, and he just doesn't know he can get across the line, and he makes it, and they go, yeah, you made, you made it! You made it! And that's what he means in verse 30. The first will be last, and the last will be first. It's not where, when you arrive, it's the fact you're there. And everyone's going to be celebrating, not just like in an Olympic stadium, in this global gathering of hundreds of thousands of people, millions. You're here. You're here. You made it through that narrow door because of him. He brought you here. He got you here. But you continued to follow him all your days. And the role of the Christian as we follow is to have as many people join us there. I mean, why would we make every effort without trying to help everybody else to get there? But the reality is that you, 
You can't have Jesus greet you in this stadium reception and say, welcome, it's really good to have you here. I've been waiting for you to come all this time. It's so good you made it. I knew you would. That can't happen unless you hear of Christ. That can't happen unless someone comes alongside to tell you the message. And I just want to help you think now about your next step in being involved in that. Because for some of us, that could be a very easy step of joining a team that goes to Greece. Um, you can join in with Eden. They're, they're, they're doing a team um, to work with refugees and migrants. That's just a week. Rather than spending the money on, on, on a holiday, you can spend it on coming alongside people who have recently migrated who are in transition and sharing the gospel as part of a bigger ministry. For others, you might be thinking, actually, do you know what? I ought to make a bit more of, a, of an explore into this. And um, you might think, actually, I could take a year, you know, six months from work, some of our work permits that. Um, or you might take nine months to be mentored by a missionary in a missionary team, learning what it's like for them. You could go to South Sudan or you could go to Bangladesh. You could go all over. You know, there's, there's over 40 countries you could go. But it doesn't even matter to be with SIM. Just, just go and give it a go. Go somewhere where Christ is least known. Go to a community where they don't know anything and see if they would join you in this walk into that fantastic global gathering of God's people who are following Jesus into eternity. It doesn't matter when you get there or how you get there. It's the fact you do get there under the lordship of Jesus. As we close, I just want to say, if you're nowhere near any of those options, how about praying? Firstly, you might think, actually, I haven't recognized Jesus like this at all, and I need to do that. It might be the first time you think, do you know what, I really should do that. It's going to be a wonderful day when you join in that global gathering. You're, you, you just get on the road, and, 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 and you're looking forward to getting through that narrow door. For others, why don't you think about praying for communities where Christ is least known? As a church, putting that on the agenda. Because as we pray, that's the first means of mission. Who knows what God will do with those prayers? But as you pray for those communities, the over two billion people, start reaching out locally. It's easy to not reach out to those who are different to us. In my church plant life, we were full of middle-class people who had very sorted lives and if anything was slightly out of time or out of sync, life just didn't work to try to get so much done. It didn't work, therefore, to have a, a Kurdish person come amongst us. It made life very difficult. Are we willing to change the way we operate to welcome people from other nations into this life and to reach out in Christ's name to them? Jesus says, make every effort. He warns us. Make every effort to live under my rule and to join in the global gathering of my people. What does obedience to him mean for you? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us and you, you warn us 
before it's too late. Lord, we think of our family, our friends, our work colleagues, our student union friends, who may presume that they'll be part of your global gathering, but you will say to them, I don't know you. We pray for them. We ask you to have mercy and to use us to draw them to you. We pray for those around the globe who literally have no one to tell them of this news, that you are Lord, and that we can join in this global gathering of your people rather than be left out in the one terrible torment of your judgment. Please give us hearts that believe and a decision to act, to play our part in your service. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Steve.